The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast. I'm your guest host, John Breach, and I'm here because Will Brinson decided to go to a Spice Girls concert tonight. No, that's not true. That's not true. He's traveling. He'll be back in the hosting chair on Wednesday for the Brady Quinn Football Show. But for now, Brinson is gone. And while he's gone, you should make him happy. Download and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and anywhere else where you listen. And while you're doing that, make sure to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And obviously, if you leave a review, make sure to mention that John Breach is your favorite guest host of all time. All right. On this can episode, I, can I interrupt? Sean, introduce me. you can interrupt. Because you were way too easy on Brinson there. Brinson was traveling uh, on Monday, Monday morning, which is why you did the podcast on Monday morning. Brinson's not traveling right now. Brinson went to a Luna concert. And I just want to point uh, out. I thought, I thought you said Spice Girl, so I was close. I was like half right. I both, just want to both point fans out, from the 90s. Yeah, I just want to point out that week two, very similar situations, Monday Night Football with the Browns. I actually had concert tickets to go see Explosions in the Sky on their 20th anniversary tour. Because of this podcast, because we had just had the summit, we're all there, we're making big plans, I'm committed to the podcast. I sold my tickets, took a loss, (laughs) and did the podcast. Now we're five weeks in, three weeks later, Brinson, the host of the podcast, is going to a concert. I mean, come on, man. Come on. I don't know. Sean, that just sounds like you messed up to me. That doesn't sound like Brinson did anything wrong. I mean, I think it just shows... Some people's level of uh, commitment here, um, and that's all I'm going to say on it. Oh, I think it shows the level of commitment to the band you were going to go see, and clearly you don't like them enough to go see them, as Brinson feels about Loon, and I can't believe I'm defending Will Brinson right now. What did you turn <laughs> this podcast into, Sean? For the record, though, I will say that, I mean, to a degree, you're right. If, uh, if Brand New is playing a show, there was no way I'd be spending it with you guys here. <laughs> all right, well, on this episode, we will be recapping – Monday's rousing game between the Browns and the 49ers, which was fun to watch for about the first five minutes. We'll also be talking about potential replacements for Jay Gruden in Washington, which, by the way, if you didn't get enough Jay Gruden talk over the past 24 hours, feel free to download our emergency Jay Gruden podcast from Monday morning that featured Jason Lock and Fora. As for this show, we're going to put you right in the middle of the rivalry, East Coast, West Coast battle here with uh, Jared Dubin in New York and Sean Wagner McGuff in California. Guys, you already talked. How are you doing? How's the rivalry? Are we supposed to have a rivalry? Yeah, you're East Coast, West Coast. That's, I mean, that's a natural. <laughs> I mean, you're, I mean you're, you're what? Central? So we could have a three way rivalry. That sounds weird, Sean. I don't well, think I'd, that the not... Central time zone was part of the East Coast, West Coast rivalry. But Sean, I think that all took place before you were born. So, <laughs> well, David, I was about to try to make peace with you because we could like gang up on Breach as like the two coastal guys, uh, but now not anymore after you took that unnecessary shot at me. Yeah, that was mean, Dubin. That was. <laughs> um. Well, you know, guys, we are here. We all just watched the same game, and uh, I'll just open up with everybody's one big takeaway from the Forty ers 31 to 3 win over the Browns. They embarrassed the whole city of Cleveland, the state of Ohio. Freddie Kitchens embarrassed himself. What's your guys' takeaway? Big, big takeaway. I feel like I have to start. I have to say, like, I'm super disappointed in myself for believing that all it would take for the Browns to be good at football was for them to have a talented roster. Clearly, it's going to take, like, some act of God or a ritual sacrifice or something like that for the Browns to ever be good. I mean, this is just. Um, I'm, I'm more disappointed in myself than I am in the Browns. That's my big takeaway. Yeah, so. and I, I'm more disappointed specifically in both Freddie Kitchens and Baker Mayfield. And I, look, I know their offensive line is a problem, so I don't want to throw Baker completely under the bus. But at this point a year ago, I think we were talking about that if you had a draft with every NFL player, 
you know, the first pick would obviously be Mahomes, and then the second pick I think would probably be Watson, but people were arguing that it could be Mayfield, and I think Mayfield at the very least was the consensus at the very least would not slide past number three. Now I don't even know if he's in that conversation whatsoever. Uh, when the Browns hired Freddie Kitchens, I was a fan of it because just because if you look at what they did with Freddie Kitchens once he got promoted to interim OC, uh, it was hard to deny the success that Mayfield had. This offense looks nothing like it looked a year ago. I think there's an argument to be made. We're going to get into this later that uh, Freddie Kitchens might not even last the full season and might not make it to year two. So I think that's what I'm most disappointed in. I do feel bad that we're not talking about the 49ers because they are somehow 4-0. I feel like we've been writing them off this entire season, blaming it on, you know, Jameis Winston throwing two pick sixes in week one, uh, playing the Bengals, stuff like that. Uh, but that defense is is legit, and specifically that defensive front uh, abused that Browns offensive line all game long. Uh, so that would be my other takeaway. Yeah, by the way, shout out to the 49ers for, uh, for getting D Ford from the Chiefs, and then the Chiefs paid like more draft picks and extra money to go get Frank Clark, who has like not been that good this year. So great and, job. And also, was that I mean, do you guys think that was an overreaction by the Chiefs because Frank, uh, sorry, uh, D Ford was offside in overtime in the <laughs> AFC Championship game because it kind of because I don't know why they got rid of him besides the you know the change in scheme to a uh, to a four three after they were in the three four. I mean, I don't yeah. know why they hired. I don't. I know we're not talking about the Chiefs, but I don't know why they hired Steve Spagnuolo, who hasn't had a good defense since like 2007. But back to the 49ers, which Sean already apologized for us not talking about. My main takeaway is that I feel like we still don't know how good the 49ers are. I feel like the Browns doo doo the bed. They did their team name. They browned it up on the bed. They didn't look good. And yes, you can attribute that to, uh, you know, the 49ers pass rush absolutely shut down. Baker Mayfield had him running for his life the entire game. But part of that is that, uh, you know, when you start off the game with an 83 yard run, that's kind of a fluky play. You know, that's not, and, and we saw Baker Mayfield throw a fluky interception at the goal line. I didn't really walk out of this game convinced that Jimmy Garoppolo is a good quarterback. I still don't know what to think of him after four games and they're 4-0. So if they play a good team and he has to carry the game, is he going to be able to do that? I don't know. So like, this team's 4-0, but I still don't know if they're any good, and that was my takeaway, which isn't even really a takeaway, because I don't well, know if they're any good. Well, to your point, Breach, this it was 31-3, to which is an absolute bloodbath, obviously, but it should have been even worse, and the 49ers didn't even take advantage of all of their opportunities to put away the Browns even more. I mean, Robbie Gold went 1-4 of four on field goals. The, the 49ers got two really early takeaways, and they didn't even score on any of them, so it kind of felt like a good team would have punished the Browns even more than the 49ers did. Um, I don't want to, again, I don't think we've, I, I feel like after every 49ers win, we do the same thing where we try not to give them credit. <laughs> the credit that I'm with you on Jimmy Garoppolo, and I think I've been there for a long time on him. But, man, that running game with Kyle Shanahan and what they drew up I thought was spectacular. They averaged 6.9 uh, yards per carry. Uh, which is you know, obviously very nice. And, you know, Matt Breida, the, the guy who's not paid very much, uh, you mentioned that 83-yard touchdown, 11 carries, 114 yards in that touchdown. Tevin Coleman comes back, contributes 97 yards. I think the 49ers' greatest asset besides their defensive line is Kyle Shanahan, and I think he's good enough to maybe hide Jimmy Garoppolo if they need to. Yeah, I mean, he makes every quarterback and every running back look good. He's been doing it for quite a while now but to, to go back to your point about them not necessarily taking advantage of every opportunity some of the opportunities were kind of gifted to them too like the uh the the first interception from baker they tried to block nick bosa with a tight end and like he had i think it was callaway or maybe it was ratley whoever it was on that play that dude was gone that was a touchdown if baker could was able to throw the ball not like leaning backward onto his back foot and then Callaway dropped another one that was, he was literally in the end zone and dropped it and popped it up in the air and it became a pick. I mean, good teams take advantage of the opportunities that are given to them and good teams beat teams that make mistakes and give them opportunities. So maybe the 49ers are a good team that, you know, just took advantage. Some of it is, you know, like you mentioned, their, their defensive line is very, very good. Their running game is very, very good. Sometimes that's, you know, enough to win in the NFL. I'm concerned still about, Garoppolo, who hasn't been all that good this season, and I mean, I was concerned about their secondary before tonight. I guess it doesn't matter when you're harassing the quarterback all night. You know, we'll see what happens uh, 
if if next week the Rams get a little bit of protection because Goff looked pretty good the last two weeks when he had time to throw. Um, obviously, when he doesn't have time to throw, he's a disaster, kind of like Mayfield is. But I don't know. I just I just feel like it was a thirty-one to three win that was obviously impressive because they won thirty-one three and beat a team that everybody had such high hopes for throughout the season. But it did feel like they were given a bunch of opportunities and didn't even like. It should have been more than 31-3, like you said. To your to your point, David, this was actually really close to turning into an interesting game after the 49ers went up 14 nothing. To go back to that goal line interception, if Callaway catches that, and I don't want to blame it all on Callaway because I thought Baker's ball placement the entire night was off. I think it's a catch he needs to make, but if he throws that where he should, which is right at his chest, I don't think Callaway drops that. I don't think it turns into that interception. Okay, wait. Let me, let me so, just ask you this real quick, Sean. If you don't want to blame it all on Callaway, what percentage of that are you putting on Callaway? I would like to know specifically. 75. I was going to say 99. You're an NFL player. It, it hit you in both your hands. You have to catch that. So I don't disagree with that, but I think a, a good quarterback doesn't even leave that up. You know, doesn't leave your receiver up to chance like that. Like you, well, It was the same thing, I think, on uh, Odell. Odell, his first two targets were both right. drops. Neither one of them was a perfect throw, but both right. of them were throws that should have obviously been caught. So it's right. the same thing with that Callaway throw. Yeah, I think they, I think fault lies on both sides. I, I agree. NFL receivers should make that catch, and it's unlucky for Baker to have a, uh, a bad throw like that or not accurate throw like that turn into a goal line interception. Like at worst, it should be an incomplete pass. But if the Browns score that touchdown, it's 14 to 10 and they're right back in the game. And instead the 49ers drive down the length of the field, convert a fourth down along the way and put the game away with the touchdown. So this was actually to Dubin's point uh, about the 49ers not taking advantage of all the chances. This was really close to turning into an interesting game. And then once the 49ers are up, uh, you know, 21 to three at that point, the game was over. By the way, I think we need to talk about just Baker's like ridiculous inaccuracy this season. He was the most accurate quarterback in college football to all three levels of the field the year before he came out. I believe he was either the most or second most athletic quarterback the year before that. Last year, he was the second most uh, accurate quarterback in the league in the last eight games when he was coached by Freddie Kitchens. This year, I mean, he's just nowhere. It's like ridiculous. And to Dubin, what Dubin just said, he's gone under 30 or under 55% in three of his five games. He's been all over the place. We saw it against the 49ers. His throws were high. They were erratic. He was eight of 22, which is only 36.4%. That is like Tim Tebow completion percentage numbers. You can't do that when you're the number one overall pick. And then we saw against the Rams, he only completed 50% of his passes. And that was a game the Browns probably could have won if Baker Mayfield would have been better. Uh, and then we saw against the Jets, that was a total route, but he still only completed 54.3% of his passes. And that was against a bad defense. So it's like it's, he's been doing it against a good defense, the Rams, a little more understandable, but against a bad defense like the Jets. So it's a little weird. And I know, Sean, you got Freddie Kitchens on your hot seat. Baker Mayfield struggling. You know, how much tied together is that? And what do you think we should fire Kitchens? I don't think he should get fired. Well, I mean, you could fire him at the midway point of the season. They have, you know, why am I blanking on their offensive coordinator's name? Uh, Todd Monken. Yes. Uh, he's a really well-respected play caller, and there's, you know, been some suggestions that he should already take over play calling for Kitchens so Kitchens can focus on other aspects of being a head coach, um, which to me, if that happens, that is the first step towards firing Kitchens because they hired Kitchens because of his play calling and his scheme and what he did offense, you know, as the offensive coordinator. If you take away his head coaching, uh, or sorry, if you take away his play calling ability, then why, do, why do you have a first year, uh, unproven head coach on the sidelines? And now, by the way, Baker, um, he's thrown twice as many interceptions as touchdowns this year. He has four touchdowns and eight picks. Last year, it was like the complete reverse, 27 touchdowns and 14 interceptions. I think this is all tied together. I think we, we all went crazy about the Odell Beckham trade. We kind of overlooked the fact that they got worse up front on their offensive line. I mean, Brenton has pointed this out multiple times that they were able to cut their left tackle like a couple days before the season and not even have to worry about anyone picking him up and just, you know, sign him to save money again. Um, and that's, yeah, you know, mean, obviously look, a poor Also, sign. just to, to go along with that, in the in the Odell Beckham trade, they wound up turning it into one trade. They gave away Kevin Zeitler, right. who is still 
one of the best pass blocking guards in the whole league. And Olivier Vernon has basically just done nothing for them across and, from Miles Garrett. They got nothing out of that. And Vernon was a bit more of a luxury player because they already did have Miles Garrett and their defense was already, you felt like on the cusp of taking the next step and being really good already but with all they that. They had Emmanuel Agba. Right. They had Agba who could have played a, a, across from, uh, from Miles Garrett and Agba has been good this year for the Chiefs. And Sean, you were just talking about Freddie Kitchen struggling, maybe it's time to put Todd Mockin in calling plays. Baker Mayfield struggling. The Browns only had 180 yards of offense against the 49ers, and I'm doing it early, but here is my fun fact of the night. Ooh. In Freddie Kitchen's tenure, the Browns have gone 180 yards or less one time. And Hugh Jackson's horrible three-year tenure, the Browns went 180 yards or less one time. Kitchens has already matched Hugh Jackson's ineptitude in half the time. And, and there's something to be said for that. Whatever Kitchens is doing isn't working on offense. I mean, Dubin, I'll ask you this. Uh, you know, you, they tried to get Odell involved early, but they just couldn't do it. He finished with 27 yards. He doesn't even have 100 yards total over the past three games combined. So what do you think the issue is there? Mayfield doesn't have time to throw or just too much coverage on uh, Beckham? I think last week a lot of it was the coverage, and they they killed the Ravens with basically everybody else. Jarvis Landry had 167 yards. Ricky Seals-Jones was, like, everywhere all over the field. Um, In this one, it seemed like, you know, he should have had two catches on the first two uh, plays where the ball was thrown to him, and he dropped them both. Then I think he caught the next two, and then I think he had another drop after that. Um, I mean, they, they tried to get involved. They had him throw. On, I think it was the first play of the game. They gave him a couple carries. They got him uh, on a couple of different screens. He dropped one, and there was one of them where if he had cut inside near the goal line instead of back toward the uh, sideline, then he probably would have scored, but wound up not happening. Um, they're they're struggling to do anything right now, and I don't think that there's one specific reason. I mean, some of it is Baker doesn't have a lot of time. Some of it is Odell just dropped the ball a bunch of times today. Some of it is they keep taking penalties. Like uh, in week one, I think he had like seven catches or whatever it was, but he had, I think, three catches called back by penalty, and two of them were offensive pass interference on him himself. Um, it's uh, it's bad right now. There's nothing good going on for them. As our, then, uh, oh, yeah, go ahead, Sean. I was saying, as our wonderful producer Debo pointed out, the, the Browns now have trailed by 25 points twice this season. It also happened in week one against the Titans. During their own 16-2017 season, that only happened twice the entire course of the season. And it, it someone pointed this out on Twitter. If what we were seeing from the Browns was happening under Hugh Jackson, everyone would be calling for the coach's head. And because it's Freddie Kitchens, it feels like no one's quite doing that doing that yet, although I think people are getting there really quickly. Yeah, I and, mean, and, wasn't it? It was last week when people were saying he should give up play calling, and he was like, that's not even a consideration. I feel like it's the only reason they're not calling for his head is because he's five games into his coaching tenure, but when you're talking about a guy who was hired specifically to be the offensive coach and get the best out of Baker Mayfield, and you're saying he shouldn't be calling plays anymore, I feel like you're essentially calling for his head. But he also shot that down in record time. He was not having any of that with the suggestion of him not calling plays because it was kind of like, hey, the Browns hired me for that offensive continuity. I'm not going to give that up. But it's like you've never been a head coach before. You don't know the responsibilities that come with it. Maybe you do need to kind of cut yourself loose of that so that you can make sure this whole football team's functioning because right now it is not functioning. And the fact that Sean brought up with the 25-point thing, like literally Hugh Jackson should have his own podcast pointing these things out. Like, <laughs> oh, that's two facts right now where Freddie Kitchen's already done two things crappier than me, and he's only been there for uh, less than a season. Uh, so, one By the way, the yeah. Munkin, who they have behind Kitchens, he's got experience calling plays with a bad offensive line. Just want to yeah. throw it out there. And speaking of that bad offensive line, somebody who really beat up that Browns offensive line – was Nick Bosa. Sean, what did you think of Bosa ripping in and doing Baker Mayfield's celebration and throwing it in his own face? So I love flag. I did find it funny that I what I think it is is the best defensive lineman celebration of all time that didn't come on a sack. 
I so that was the part I felt it should have been ruled a sack when they showed the replay. Um, the officials ruled intentional grounding, but if you look at the replay, Baker's knee was down as he was throwing the ball. I just found it funny that you don't usually see defensive players hit a quarterback and then have an extravagant, you know, sack dance down, down the field. Uh, I did love it, and I think this is the kind of thing that Baker kind of just has to expect is going to happen because. I don't have a problem with the stuff that Baker has said all throughout the offseason. I think it's great. I wish more players would be more like that and less like, you know, the Russell Wilsons and the, you know, Tom Brady's who don't want to say anything and don't give opponents, you know, quote unquote bulletin material. I think it's great and entertaining and I'm glad that Bosa did it. And I would expect as the Browns continue to get beat up that other defensive players continue to rub it in to a quarterback who, you know, doesn't shy away from talking crap about other players. All right. Anything else you guys want to toss in from this game, from this blowout win for the 49ers? I think both of the upcoming schedules are interesting because we're going to learn a lot about both these teams in the next week or two. The 49ers get the Rams. I actually kind of really like them in that matchup because the Rams' offensive line has really struggled, and I think that they could put Jared Goff under a lot of duress, and Jared Goff, as we all know, uh, really folds under pressure, does not play nearly as well. And the Browns get the Seahawks, their bye week, and then the Patriots – they need to go one and one. Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad you just mentioned the next few games because obviously the 49ers play the Rams in week six, as you just mentioned. But if there's any coaches that have been outclassing Kyle Shanahan, it is the other coaches in the NFC West. Shanahan's been there since the beginning of the 2017 season. He is two and 10 against NFC West teams. And one of those wins came in the season finale in 2017 when the Rams were resting all their starters for the playoffs. So he's literally only gotten one win in three years against the division. McVay, Pete Carroll, they seem to just always be two steps ahead of him. So it'll be interesting to see uh, if he can coach them to a win. Because until he beats an NFC West team, you're not going to win the division if you can't win divisional games. So until he does that, I'm not sold on this team. Uh, by the way, Sean brought up the... Uh... The Browns schedule, I mean, after those next two games, the schedule gets, I mean, significantly easier for them. And they, they have the Seahawks next week, then they go on their bye, then they come back from the bye and face the Patriots. But after that, it's Broncos, Bills, Steelers, Dolphins, Steelers, Bengals, Cardinals, Ravens, Bengals. I mean, that's a schedule they could kind of fatten up against if they can go, I mean, that's nine games. They could go six and three, seven or two if they, if they can get one win out of these next two weeks and they go six and three against that, that gets you to nine and seven. Maybe you still get in the playoffs. Yeah, I think the AFC North could send an eight. eight it, I think they could send an eight and eight team or a nine and seventeen to the playoffs for sure. And that's why I'm not writing them off quite yet because there's no one in that division that looks really good right yeah, now. I mean, are we confident that they could score against like anyone right now? Though, I mean, they it's that's, if you can't protect the quarterback, you can't score. I mean, you look at it; they had 13 points uh, against the Titans. They didn't even do that well against the Jets. Like 13 points then again against the Rams, now three points tonight. I mean, they basically held up against a Ravens pass rush that's not very good. And other than that, they've been kind of a disaster. Yeah, and mentioning the Browns' future schedule, I know you mentioned after the Seahawks and Patriots, you know, that those final eight games are easier. But with their lack of offensive line, lack of protection, Baker Mayfield's getting that game after the Patriots. So they have... They just played their week five. Week six, they have the Seahawks. Might lose. Then they have a bye. Then they have to go to New England. So they could be two and five at that point. And then the two games after that, and Dubin, that's where you started where the role where they could do real well. But they have the Broncos and the Bills. So you're talking about two defenses that could just beat the hell out of Baker Mayfield. Those are two very losable games. And if you lose those two, then it doesn't matter that your last six games are easy because your season's probably over because you're two and seven at that point. Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk some about a, another nonsense team in a minute, but I mean, can <laughs> these guys trade for Trent Williams? Just like make Washington trade this guy already. That is what we will get to is Jay Gruden and the Redskins. But for right now, we're going to go to a break. The all new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot 
Carter Finley. Shout out, Carter Finley. Or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip. Maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers. I used to go as a kid. I wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe. The Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, everybody. Welcome back. And we're going to talk about Jared Dubin's favorite topic, Daniel Snyder firing Jay Gruden and doing it at 5 a.m. on Monday morning. Couldn't do it Sunday night after the game. Literally made the guy on four hours of sleep show up to the practice facility so he could can him. I mean, you do that after the game, right, Dubin? These guys are a joke. I mean, like, we're, I know we're going to talk about candidates for this job in a minute. Like, why are there any candidates? Who wants this job? Like, you're so stupid. Don't take a job working for Dan Snyder. You're insane. Don't do it. Yeah, and and here's the thing. This is my favorite part of this whole thing is that Bill Callahan, the new interim coach, comes out, has a press conference, gets asked if Dwayne Haskins can start this week, and Callahan is, like, laughing to himself, like, uh, no, that guy's not even close. He is not a candidate to start this week, and it's against the Dolphins. If you can start a rookie against anyone, it is the Dolphins. So, Sean, what does that say about how much Jay Gruden was right in this situation that the guy comes in and says, yeah, Dwayne Haskins can't start. And how does this make you feel about that whole quarterback situation with Haskins and that whole dynamic right now? Yeah, it's funny because a lot of people were theorizing that, uh, you know, Jay Gruden didn't like Haskins and ownership wanted him to play. And, and Gruden was like, no way, I'm not playing him. I think Gruden told ESPN also that he loves Haskins, but he's not going to, you know, throw him in there and sacrifice him to the wolves because he's just not quite ready yet. I mean, we talk about the Dolphins being this sure lock for the number one pick. The Dolphins might have a better quarterback than the Redskins have. And so I'm not sure if the Redskins are on track potentially to wind up with that top pick. Uh, I mean, like, as Stevens, I mean, this whole thing is such a joke. I mean, you have Bruce Allen saying that the culture there is damn good. And you have Trent Williams who said he still is saying that he doesn't want to come back and play. I, I, you look at their schedule. I don't know where you find a win. If they can't beat Miami, uh, and I don't know if they can beat Miami, um, with their quarterback situation. I don't, like, I think for as much as we've made fun of the Dolphins, the difference between these two teams is that the Dolphins want to lose and the Redskins don't want to lose. And the Trent Williams things is just mind boggling because they have this valuable asset sitting at home. That any team would be willing to take, literally any team, and they would probably get a, a, a good offer. I mean, do you guys think they could get a first round pick for Williams, a starting yes. left tackle? Yes. So yes. they are literally sitting on a first round pick who is not playing for them and not adding any value on the field. So why not get rid of him? Why be stubborn about this? I'm sure the Browns would give five first round picks for Trent Williams that have any sort of competent players on the, the offensive Patriots, line. Like the, New yeah, England starting Marshall Newhouse or, or <laughs> right at, yes, at left tackle yes. right now. Like, so it doesn't ridiculous. make any, yeah. And so if anything, when Bruce Allen comes out and does interviews, press conferences like he does did on Monday and says just foolish things like that, it just makes Jay Gruden look brilliant. And he's sitting there. He could have pulled a Hugh Jackson and thrown the organization under the bus. Remember Hugh Jackson's burnt media tour where he blamed everyone except for himself. Jay Gruden did the opposite. He talked to ESPN. He talked to the Washington Post. And he's just like, well, whatever. I didn't have all the power. And you got to do what you got to do. And I tried. And I gave it the old college try. And, and you know, we are where we are. So he could have been – he could have complained. And he didn't. Uh, so, By the way, that I saw this this morning, that Bruce Allen press conference. That was his first press conference since 2015. Is it? Was it really? For a team that's been that bad, he hasn't been forced to take questions? Nope. Which is unbelievable. Well, I mean, it goes back to what I was saying on the Sunday night recap, which was, and this was before they fired Gruden, and we were talking about when it was going to happen. I don't know how good of a coach Jay Gruden is. 
but he's not, he was not the problem in Washington. Firing him does not solve a single one of their issues. Their issues has always, has always been about the higher ups and it's going to remain that way regardless of who they hire. And they, I don't care who they hire. They could steal Mike Tomlin away from the Steelers as has been reported. And Mike Tomlin's not going to have any success there. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I would agree with that, that the, the problem is, in the higher up, but I think you cannot be the problem and still be a problem. Sure. And I think, I think Jay Gruden was still a problem there, but I think that, you know, one of the reasons, you know, you mentioned Gruden was like, you know, Dwayne Haskins isn't ready. And then Bill Callahan came out and said, Dwayne Haskins isn't ready. And I assume we could talk at some point about Bill Callahan being like, you know, the reason we're not good is because we're last in the league in rushing attempts, even though they're, you know, fourth in the league in first <laughs> and second down runs in the first half of games. And the reason they're last in rushing attempts is because they stink. Um, but I think that even more than Dwayne Haskins not being ready, I, th- I think you can play a quarterback who's not necessarily ready to play, sort of throw him out there and see what he's got. As long as you have an infrastructure around him that would allow him to succeed if he were ready like as long as you have like a pretty good offensive line you know decent receivers that you know can make plays and get open a running game where you can at least do something watch washington doesn't have any of that so i i I don't think i would be playing dwayne haskins right now either because if you throw him out there it's not just that he's not ready it's that the entire team around him is not ready i think you saw that with jared goff when he was a rookie i think you saw that with josh rosen last year i think you're seeing it again with josh rosen in miami this year and i don't think it's a good environment to put haskins into and i would i mean I think they're going to be waiting a long time if they want to have an environment to put him in position to succeed because this organization will never succeed. But they they could at least put him in a better position than he would be in this year. And one thing I will say, which is almost ironic that the best decision the Redskins have made during the Bruce Allen, Jay Gruden tandem was letting Kirk Cousins go. Uh, you know, Jay Gruden had to deal with that whole quarterback controversy, he kind of inherited the RG3 Kirk Cousins dynamic. After that, uh, 2013 team, the Redskins went three and 13. Gruden got hired in 2014, improved by one game. Four and 12 is not great, but you did better than you did last season. And then he won the division in 2015, uh, and then was either eight, seven to one or seven to nine his final three seasons. So it wasn't horrible at all, but he is gone. So let's talk about potential replacements. Sean, (laughs) Dubin has already said no one should take this job. So I'm going to give, go. I would not wish this upon anyone. I'll say that. Let's let's go two ways here. Let's say who makes sense and who would be like a Dan Snyder fantasy. The guy loves to make a splash. He hired Joe Gibbs, Steve Spurrier, Mike Shanahan. So he loves a big name if he can get it. So one big name and one that just kind of makes sense. No repeats. I think the big splash that he would love to make is maybe like a Lincoln Riley or Josh McDaniels. I don't think either one of those two guys – would leave their respective positions for that. Like, why would Lincoln Riley, you know, make the leap to the NFL and go to Washington? Uh, that makes no sense at all. Why would Josh McDaniels, after turning down the Colts job, which was, you know, pre-Andrew Luck, all the retirement stuff, uh, why would he suddenly be like, okay, I'm going to go work for Dan Snyder in Washington? So I think more realistic would be a guy like Eric Bieniemy. And I think you look at, we talk about a lot about how, the Bill Belichick coaching tree doesn't often – hasn't breeded a lot of successful coaches. I do think the Andy Reid coaching tree has done a lot better um, if you take a look at the list, uh, which is John Harbaugh, Ron Rivera, Steve Sagnola. Uh, I should have included him. Todd Bowles, eh, uh, Matt Nagy, Sean McDermott, Doug Peterson. So I think that um, I would like that. And if you have a young quarterback, I would want to pair him with an offensive mind as opposed to a defensive-minded coach. So he would probably be my top pick. But again, I just want to reiterate, don't take the job. Stay in Kansas City and wait for a better offer. Wait, I heard, I just heard you name 17 names. Who, who was going to be your top pick? Eric Bieniemy would be the more realistic pick. But if you were looking for the splash, I think he would go after like a Lincoln Riley. But I don't All think right. Lincoln Riley would See, do it. I don't think that that's um, the kind of splash that Snyder would go after. I think he's more into like – legacy type names like you look at his other hires he brought back joe gibbs like you said he brought in shanahan he brought in a gruden i think if he's gonna do it he's gonna look for someone who has like a name that's known in nfl circles or something like that so what is one a guy who's like a, a, a family legacy type name i don't know one off the top of my head the only guy i can even think of actually is like bill callahan i think it's his son brian callahan but he's like the uh 
the offensive coordinator for the Bengals, who also stink. So why would you want to hire him right now? Dubin, the Bengals don't stink. They should be three and two right now. But we're not going to talk about that because we don't have time. All right, don't Dubin, worry. So- Andy Dalton's going to break the all-time passing record. <laughs> Jim Har Jim Harbaugh would be the, the uh, Sean. It's not your turn right now. Okay, that's a good call though. Dubin, that's it absolutely. Well, that was my splash hire, and Sean's just here stealing. Now I know Brixton sitting in the host seat, and just having suggestions stolen right out from under. Dubin, who who would be a splash hire, and who would be uh, just a normal run of the mill coach like Eric Bieniemy that you think could take this job? I'm stealing that one. Harbaugh would absolutely be the splash hire that he would want, or like I mean, I know JLC reported earlier in the day. Uh, Mike Tomlin is someone that he wants to like go try and chase. I mean, like good luck, uh, whatever you want to do, Dan Snyder. Um, you know, as far as a guy that's, you know, more realistic, I mean, they should, you know, look at younger offensive or defensive coordinators around the league and just find the guy who has the best plan that makes sense. I don't know that necessarily I have a name off the top of my head, but I mean, the enemy makes sense. He's coming from that Chiefs offense. You know, you want to look at the good offenses around the league and find, you know, the, uh, the quarterback coach or the running back coach or the offensive coordinator or even the offensive line coach on one of those teams and, uh, and just figure out if they could do the job. What if they steal Kellen Moore away from your Cowboys and then the Cowboys just give Jason Garrett a 10-year extension? Sean, that's why you have to talk in turn. That was my – I can't even talk right now. I'm so upset. You, you took Harbaugh and Kellen Moore, literally both guys I was going to say. I'm going to have to get off the podcast and call Brinson and vent for 10 minutes and then come back and restart this whole entire segment. My so God. Now you're, now you're finding out why Brinson spent so much time interrupting people because he was oh. in constant fear of the person stealing his yeah, idea. Yeah, well, now I know why he also drinks four craft beers per podcast. I need, like, a hard whiskey bottle out here. All right. So now I'm out of names, but my splash name would probably be Nick Saban. What if Dan Snyder called oh him up goodness. and oh God. said, man, $20 million a year if you come to the Redskins, <laughs> five-year contract, $100 million for five years. I'm just throwing splash names out. These are fantasy names that if Dan Snyder gets crazy and maybe Nick Saban, like he did in 2006 with the Dolphins, says, yeah, I've accomplished everything I need to in college. Uh so that is my crazy splash name. And since Sean and Dubin stole Kellen Moore from me as a reasonable name, I will go with Byron Leftwich. Uh, I think if you want to hire an up-and-coming offense corner, that's someone that they could possibly call. And, Sean, you said Eric Bieniemy. I think that is a fantastic suggestion. And, obviously, Kellen Moore, since that was my original deal. Uh, do we buy the Mike – do we think they should go after Mike Tomlin? Because it would – the Steelers probably won't fire Tomlin, I would imagine. I mean, I mean, I know they're terrible, but the Steelers could recoup that first round pick they wasted right. on the Minka Fitzpatrick trade. But would that, you give up a first round pick for Mike Tomlin? I like Mike Tomlin, but would you give up a first round pick when your roster is that depleted? I would not. No, but Dan Snyder would. But here's the two questions: Is would Mike Tomlin even want to go to Washington? He's in a functional, very functional organization, a very well run organization right now. This is literally. The opposite. This is like going from working in a library to working at a circus. So, like, it's a big environmental change, and I'm not sure he would be down with that. So, and then the flip side is if if the Redskins called up the Steelers and said, hey, Art Rooney, we've got a first-round pick. If you give us Mike Tomlin, Dubin, would you say yes to that? Uh, Is it the number one pick? It is whatever the pick the Redskins have. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if it's the number one pick, I'd take it. You what if just hire somebody else. What if it's number seven? Yeah, I'd probably still take it. I, I feel like a, a first-round pick in the top, you know, five or ten is probably worth more than a coach. Especially, uh, like, not if it's Belichick, but I think he's probably worth more than most coaches. Do you think Snyder would ever call up the Patriots and be like, I'll give you three first-round picks if you give me Belichick? No. I don't even know if the Patriots would take it. You know, it depends where Robert Kraft is when he's taking the call. <laughs> you know, if he's, if, he's, if he's in the office, he's not taking it. If he's somewhere else, he might be under the influence a little bit. Um, you guys think there is any chance that Bill Callahan sticks around long term? Do you think he's just interim and done? I think he's probably interim and then goes and becomes the offensive line coach somewhere next year, and their offensive line gets a lot better. So yeah. he should go to Cleveland. Is that what you're saying? That'd be nice. I'm just I'm just annoyed that they didn't promote Jim Tomsula to interim head coach or Rob Ryan. So that's what I'm just mad about. 
Wait, and is you know, Rob Ryan with Washington right now? Yes. What? What's he doing? Something. I don't. I was looking at their possible interim. He's the is inside he coach linebackers. Coaching linebackers. Oh my yes. god. I was looking on Sunday night's podcast. I was like, ooh, who could be the interim coach? And then I was Wait like, a minute. oh my god, Jim Thompson. Rex and Ryan is going to be their next coach. Oh my god. There that, we go. That's it. He would be the perfect personality that's for it. that. That's it. All right, we need to get this out there. Start hashtag Rex Ryan to the Redskins. Triple R. Oh my god. Debo, start posting the podcast now. Just upload it while we're still podcasting. <laughs> Get Rex Ryan to Washington. He needs to be on the next flight there tomorrow morning. Get rid of Bill Callahan. He can stay on the staff. I'm sure Rex would be okay with that because Rob's already there. That's a fantastic idea. You guys are brilliant. You guys should be running the Redskins front office, not Bruce Allen. Uh, all right. So there Can't was. Be worse. I, I I really don't think it would be possible. Um, so there was a ton of NFL news today. And I'm going to start with a kicking situation in Tennessee because Sean's boy, Cody Parkey, has a job. And you know what? I have been saying for the past few months that I thought he was the best free agent available. Everybody was just scared off by the mental thing of trying to come back from a missed kick. We have seen multiple kickers be ruined by a huge miss in the playoffs. It happened to Blair Walsh. He hasn't really come back from that Vikings miss. Happened to Billy Cundiff in 2011 against the Patriots. He never really came back from that. It happened to Mike Vanderjack with the Colts. He never really came back after that huge miss against the Steelers. It happened to Doug Bryan with the Jets in 2004. And you guys remember Ray Finkel in 1982. So it happens all the time. Uh, but I do like this signing. Cairo Santos, he was there to replace Ryan Suckup. So it's not someone the Titans were tied to long term. You missed four field goals. Three of them were your fault. I think the third, fourth one was probably his fault. Got tipped by the Bills, but it was low kick. Uh, so I like this signing. They're giving Parkey a chance. Ryan Suckup, their normal kicker who was on injured reserve, can return in week nine. So Parkey might not be there for long. We don't know. Uh, so that is that. Saquon Barkley. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Real quick. It's that I'm fine with him getting signed because he had a, you know, he's had a couple good years before the Chicago year. The one thing I want to say, though, is that Parkey just wasn't bad in that playoff game when he missed that kick. He actually had a terrible all of last season. He made, what, 77% of his field goals. He had that one game where he hit, like, the same upright three times against the Lions or four times against the Lions. Um, so I'm still skeptical because it wasn't just about one miss. He was bad that entire season. Well, he had 10 misses on the season, I think seven field goals, three extra points. But the crazy thing about those 10 misses is that six of them – hit an upright like that's literally that's like winning the lottery that that is he should have just quit football and bought lottery tickets like winning the lottery it's reverse it's like it's it's winning the lottery and having the money taken from you uh but it's not easy chime in to say i think that teams place too much confidence in their own ability to determine which kickers are and are not good and how long they'll be good for with very few exceptions most kickers are just extremely inconsistent and the you know the the importance and confidence assigned to the fact that Parky is just going to be bad forever because he missed that one kick. And obviously, you know, like Sean said, he wasn't very good for a lot of the year, but that doesn't mean he won't be good this year or won't be good in two years. You know, like it's just a lot of it is incredibly random and most teams are very bad at determining which kickers are going to be good and which are not. So I feel like, you know, why not sign him? He's a guy who's been a professional kicker before. Yeah, and I was actually surprised the Patriots didn't invite him to their tryout because we saw what happened. Mike Nugent, they signed him. He missed his first extra point with the team. And Belichick's one of those smart coaches who uh, he sticks with his kicker no matter what because he understands every single kicker is going to go through rough patches. It's just going to happen. You can't cut a guy because he misses a few kicks, and that's why he's only had two kickers, full-time kickers, since 1996. Um, speaking of the Patriots, they have a huge Thursday night game against their arch nemesis, New York Giants. No Eli Manning, but we don't know if there is going to be a Saquon Barkley. He's coming back from the ankle injury. He might play Dubin. Do you think he will play this week? And can he help the Giants pull off an upset of the Patriots? I'll start with the second question first because the answer is much uh, easier. The answer is no. Um, The Giants are not going to beat the Patriots. That Patriots defense is ridiculous. It's like – I don't know if it's clear that it's the best defense in the league, but I mean, it's getting pretty clear as the, the weeks go by. It's a, it's just really, really good. They're going to shut down pretty much anybody that they face throughout this year. I mean, I don't see the giant, this Giants team in particular being the one to beat them, whether Barkley is on the field or not. 
Um, I think that they will try to have him play because they think they're going to try to pull off an upset, and I think it's a bad idea. Sean, the Steelers have a third-string quarterback going this week. Can they pull off an upset with Devlin Hodges running the show, and can the Steelers stay in the playoff race? No, they're dead. <laughs> I don't easy. know if you guys saw, but that Pittsburgh radio guy said that Juju Smith-Schuster's fumble is what ended their season this year and not the fact that their defense is terrible or that their starting quarterback and backup quarterback are both out. Was that radio guy Antonio Brown? Because that sounds like something he would tweet. <laughs> no, their I don't know was who a, it was. As Dubin said, their season was over the minute they lost Ben Roethlisberger. Um, speaking of the AFC North, we have A.J. Green, who's apparently never going to play again because he's not playing this week. He was supposed to be six to eight weeks when he got hurt in July, got hurt on that turf. Uh, long story short, I do think he's going to wait till he's 100%. It's a contract year. The Bengals are bad. There's no reason to rush back. I do think once he's 100% and only at 100%, he's not going to play at 97%. I would think he comes back probably sometime around Halloween. I would say he misses two more games. And last but not least, the – Wait a minute. How long will it take A.J. Green to get to 100% after the Patriots or the Saints trade for him? Uh, well, if that happens, I would say he's at 100% within three hours after the trade is made. <laughs> as okay. soon as he gets off the plane. Yeah, as soon as he gets off the plane. Um, but the Bengals have a week – what a week are we in? Five, six, seven, eight. They have a week nine bye. I think he'll be playing after that bye at the latest. Um, but I do – again, that's like the Trent Brown situation. I think if the Bengals get – a solid offer. They should think about trading him because there's nothing left. He's in a contract year. You might not have him back anyway, even if he says he wants to play. So if somebody calls and offers a first round pick, take it. Mike Brown or Duke Tobin or whoever has the final say over there. And, uh, one more big, we had a trade during the game. The Raiders just making news. They upset the Bears. Now they're adding receiving help for Derek Carr. Dubin, they added Zay Jones for a fifth rounder. Is that going to put the Raiders over the top and make him a Super Bowl candidate? I mean, absolutely. They clearly have now won the Amari Cooper trade and the Khalil Mack trade. <laughs> but, I mean, Tyrell Williams, obviously Derek Carr needs some people to throw to. You think Zay Jones will make any sort of – you know, like how many targets do you think he's going to get per game? Is he going to play all that much? I mean, he's got to come in learn a new offense. It's not like he was playing in Buffalo. I mean, he just got overtaken by, who was it, Duke Williams as the number three receiver in Buffalo. I mean, they brought in like three guys ahead of him. It's – it's not like Zay Jones is very good, so he's terrible. Or he has been <laughs> terrible. I mean, I can't I know it's a fifth round pick and it's a trade that most people don't care about. I think it's the why are you giving up a fifth round pick for a player who's in his third year, uh, who has never shown the ability to play receiver at a replacement level. I mean, in his career he averages five point three yards per target. Not yards per catch, per target. I mean, this guy's terrible. My only reasoning I can think is John Gruden is trying to set up Nathan Peterman, the Peterman, for a rise in 2020, surrounding him with friendly targets. Nathan Peterman for Raiders quarterback 2020. All right, that is the news for today. Now we're getting to Sean's specialty. Uh, Sean, I heard you're putting together some hot seat rankings. Of course, Jay Gruden's seat was put out with a fire extinguisher Monday morning, and he is no longer on it because he has been fired. But there are plenty of other coaches who have been bad this season. So uh, you take over. Explain. What we're doing here, you've got it broken down into tiers, and we'll just go tier by tier. Yeah, so I started writing this uh, before Gruden got fired, and Gruden was obviously going to be number one. He is no longer number one. We've got four tiers going on. The first tier are first-year coaches um, who are probably safe, and I think these are the coaches who, you know, even if their teams like Brian Flores and the Dolphins, even if they go 1-15 or whatnot, I don't think they're going to get fired. So in that tier four, you've got Brian Flores at 12, uh, Cliff Kingsbury at number 11, uh, Zach Taylor at number 10 with the Bengals. I just don't see the Bengals. Breach, you could talk about this. About I don't think they want to fire a coach after one year after they had Barvin Lewis for forever. And then I have Vic Fangio at number 9. Vic Fangio gets a huge win. I think kind of gets him off the hot seat. Uh, tier 3, you have the kind of more veteran coaches, or at least not first-year coaches, who I think are safe as of now. They're not under well, should, should we talk real quick about Tier 4? Yeah, we can do that. Uh I would say the hottest seat on that tier is Freddie Kitchens. Because like you said, the Bengals no, are going to he's, – He's later. Freddie oh, Kitchens he's later. later. Okay, yeah. okay. So he's he's off the, the new coach seat. So with that in mind, I would say it's Vic Fangio because the Bengals are too cheap to fire a guy with four years left on his deal. They're not going to pay him all that money. They don't do that. Uh, and, and 
Brian Flores, that everybody knew that tanking was happening. Cliff Kingsbury. So I would say Fangio would be my pick on that one. I'll let Dubin pick the tier three. Who's the hottest seat? Tier three. And to uh, Breach's point, I do have Fangio lowest or the lowest on that list. So I agree with you on that. Tier three is the safe, but not out of the woods. You can make an argument if their seasons go south that they could be fired. So I've got Anthony Lynn at number eight overall. Um, I've got Mike Tomlin at number seven. I don't think he should be fired, but I guess you could make an argument for it if their season really continues to go south. I have Dubin's favorite coach, Jason Garrett, at number six. Garrett is in the final year of his contract, which is probably the biggest reason why he's this high on the list. I have the Giants, Pat Shermer, at number five. Um, I know it's only his second year. I know Daniel Jones wants an offensive-minded coach, or the Giants want an offensive-minded coach for Daniel Jones. But if you actually look, there's actually a pretty long history of coaches getting fired um, after with a rookie quarterback. Um, it's happened a lot in the past couple of years. And then Doug Marone at number four. They've kind of steadied the ship uh after going to Gardner Menchu, but you know, he entered the season I think pretty firmly on the hot seat. And if they were to miss the playoffs in a pretty mediocre division, I wouldn't be surprised if he were to get canned. Stupid. So picking who is the highest on this likely. list, who should be the highest on this list. Like, first of all, the entire list is invalid. Uh <laughs> Jason Garrett's way too low. Um we don't have to talk about that. <laughs> I mean I, talk about Jason Garrett. So do you think there's a chance he can get – because I had a hard time um, – I think there's a, probably a 0% chance that he gets fired during the season. Oh, um, I agree with that. I just don't see that happening really on any level. I mean it took such a disaster for Jerry Jones to fire Wade Phillips during the season for Garrett to get the job in the first place. And that really only happened because Garrett was essentially hired to be the next head coach at some point when he was hired as the offensive coordinator. He was hired before – Wade Phillips in the first place and was made immediately the highest paid assistant coach in the entire league. So everybody knew he was getting the job at some point. And I think the Cowboys were one and seven when Wade Phillips got fired and got beat by the Giants by like 30 points or something like that. And Jerry had just had enough. I don't see that happening to this Cowboys team. But I mean, Jason Garrett hasn't called plays, I believe, since 2012. Um, so his only responsibilities are like motivating the team, managing the clock, using the challenge flag, and making fourth down and two-point conversion decisions. And he is, like, one of the three or four worst coaches in the league at all of those things. There's really no reason for him to be the head coach. It makes no sense. I've been saying this for, like, six or seven years at this point. It, I don't get it, but I don't think that's going to happen either. Like, I think if there is any excuse in the world that Jerry Jones can make to keep Jason Garrett as the coach, he will make it. He wants to, he doesn't just want to win a Super Bowl. He wants to win a Super Bowl and seem like the smartest guy in the room. And for that reason, he wants Jason Garrett to be the coach when it happens. But I hate to break it to him. Um, that's not going to happen if Jason Garrett's the coach because he doesn't know what he's doing. Um, <laughs> Dude, so, let, me, let me ask yeah, you something real quick. Ahead. Let's say the Wait Cowboys. A minute, did you know Jason Garrett went to Princeton, guys? Oh, uh, I haven't so heard this smart. at all. You can't fire him. Let's say the Cowboys go to New York on Sunday and somehow the Jets starting their mono quarterback somehow pull off the upset and the Cowboys fall to three and three. Is there any chance in the world that Garrett would be fired if he lost to the winless Jets? I think there's a better chance that they strip Kellen Moore of play calling duties and give them back to Jason Garrett than that Jason Garrett gets fired. Wow. And to be clear, when I put Jason Garrett on this list, and I'll be in this story, I don't think there's a chance in hell he gets fired midseason. Um, so I agree I mean, with you. I mean, uh, you know, in terms of the in-season, I mean, I don't necessarily think any of these guys have a shot uh, to I get fired completely. during the season. But I think you have it right that Shermer and Marone are probably the most likely of this group to lose their jobs by the end of the year. I mean, I don't know how you fire Anthony Lynn after they looked like one of the best teams in the league last year, and then the entire team is hurt this season. I mean, me and you might be suiting up a wide receiver for them next week at this point. Like, it's completely ridiculous. And the Steelers never fire coaches, so he's not getting fired. So, yeah, yeah all, I, all I think these that, coaches... that Shermer and Marone are probably the most likely of this group. Yeah, all these coaches in this tier, I can't imagine any of them getting fired midseason unless something, you know, terrible, something goes terribly wrong. Um, like Anthony Lynn deserves at least a full year, and I don't even think, I don't even know if he should be fired, even if the Chargers miss the playoffs, because as you point out, uh, they get they get so hurt every single season that um, it's difficult to blame them. Dubin, let me ask you this because I want to go back to Jason Garrett real quick. This is my oh, favorite great. topic, 
favorite topic to talk about with you. Let's say Jerry Jones came up to you and said, all right, man, your choices are keep Jason Garrett or you can hire Jay Gruden. Who would you rather have as your coach? Who are my coordinators in each situation? Uh, Jay Gruden is calling his own offensive plays, and Jason Garrett is doing whatever you want Jason Garrett to be doing. He's doing whatever I want him to be doing? Uh, no, he's doing within reason of what Jason Garrett would actually do on a football field. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think I, I guess I'll still, oh God, I guess I would still keep Jason Garrett. Really? Yeah. Cause if I get to hire my own coordinators and like, I'm not going to get to hire like Lincoln Riley and Bill Belichick, but I mean, I get to, you know, hire my own coordinators, like fine. Better with the Cowboys than Garrett. Can I get Garrett to give up his decision-making power over fourth downs and two point conversions and things like that? that or does he still likely. keep control of that? No. I think the head coach probably would keep control of that. <laughs> I mean, he could just be a motivational speaker. That's kind of almost what he is right now. Um, Sean. Because he doesn't do any of the other stuff well. Tier two, which is probably where Dubin, Dubin wants Garrett in tier one, but we'll just, we'll go to tier two now. Yeah. And tier two are first year coaches who I think could by the end of the, at the end of the year. Um, could conceivably get fired. The other first-year coaches, I don't necessarily see it. Um, the first is Adam Gase, who, look, has been dealt a difficult hand, obviously, losing his starting quarterback to Mono. Uh, that said, I think the offense has been so incompetent, and it's not like he had a tremendous amount of success at Miami with his offense either for a guy who is allegedly, you know, a quarterback guru, a play calling genius and all that. I don't think we've ever seen signs of it. I think what it will come down to with Adam Gase is, you know, quite obviously how Darnold looks once he comes back. Because if Darnold comes back and this offense doesn't take substantial steps forward, then I think the Jets would be completely in their right to ditch Gase after one season. I say this on every single podcast. This guy sleeps four hours a night. What is he doing for 20 hours a day? Because he sure as hell is not, you know, thinking about offense and coming up with cool, interesting concepts because I'm sick of seeing the same damn string, screen pass and dump off on third and 18. So I would get rid of him if I were the Jets. And number two is Freddie Kitchens, who we've so, talked about well, a lot before already. Before you go to Kitchens, like, I, I got a question about Gase, though, because, I mean, he basically was in charge of the hiring of Joe Douglas, essentially, right? So are they going to get rid of Gase? I think they could. If Darnold looks terrible, I think there would be enough pressure um, via the fan base for them to ditch him. Didn't he basically just hire the GM? Are you saying that the GM that, that now is not allowed to fire him? It seemed like he was the one that got to make the decision of who they were hiring. It seems like he's got power there. Well, then, in that case, I don't see Adam Gase firing himself. Um, if Joe That's Douglas, what I'm But if Joe Douglas does have hiring and firing power, which I – would imagine that, you know, whoever is above uh, Gase and, and Douglas in New York, I imagine they would give the GM that power. But, I mean, yeah, it's a moot point if, if Adam Gase is in charge of his own future. So if you guys had to pick one out of Adam Gase and Freddie Kitchens, who would be more likely to get fired? Kitchens. Kitchens. Because it's all about expectations. And the Browns were hyped up as this playoff team. And if they don't make the playoffs and if Baker continues doing what he's doing, it doesn't make it a cent. Then what is the point of having Freddie Kitchens if you hired him for Baker? They also have like a perfect ready-made replacement on the staff right now. Right. Like I think that you could slide Munkin into that job and feel very comfortable. I don't think the Jets have that guy on staff right now. And, you know, it is pretty rare that teams fire a coach after one season, uh, and I do think Kitchens would be the obvious choice because it was like, all right, we're going to give this rookie a chance. He doesn't have any head coaching experience. If he goes in there and they're good, great. If not, we'll get rid of him and bring someone else in, whereas, you know, Gase had plenty of head coaching experience. But, you know, we saw it with Vance Joseph with the Broncos. We saw it with Steve Wilkes with the Cardinals. I think Joseph we got two years. Did he? Yeah. They were going to fire him, and then they changed their minds. They had, like, a meeting. Well, we saw your boy Jim Tomsula. He got fired after one year, didn't he? The 49ers, Chip Kelly. So it doesn't, ha it seems like it happens about every other year. Um, so I think it would be surprising, but you know, 
Freddie Kitchens, if that offense Apparently it only happens in the NFC West, though. That's kind of what it feels like. Jim Mora with the Seahawks, that's another NFC Wester. You mean after they promised Jim Mora the job like three years before Homegrown was gone? (laughs) (laughs) It is. And nothing is worse than getting fired because what are you supposed to do in one year? How could you possibly deserve to be fired after one year? But I I think if the Jets go – if they get Gase back this week and they still go 1-15, that's why I think uh, Gase can be fired. But, yeah, if if Darnold comes back and they look fine and just normal bad, then he probably won't get fired. But I – look, I've been a big Adam Gase hater. Lately, so um, even though he loves my boy, he's the only coach in the NFL that likes Jay Cutler. Um, so I should be boys with Adam Gase, but I'm so sick of watching Adam Gase's offense. You hate Adam Gase more than Dubin hates. No, he doesn't. J- Jason Garrett. I I don't think I hate anything more than Dubin hates Jason Garrett. All right, I think it is time. I wish we had the drum roll going because it is time for tier one, and there was only one person in tier one. It would have been two with with Jay Gruden, but tier one is dead man walking, uh, and I think that's Dan Quinn. And I think, I mean, what is there left to say about them since their last playoff appearance, which was, what, two seasons ago, Um, which came after their 25-point lead in the Super Bowl, which they obviously blew to the Patriots. They fired all of their coordinators in the offseason, which is usually the first step towards this better turnaround this year. Otherwise, we have no one left to fire except you. And the biggest thing is this defense is terrible. And a year ago, we blamed it all on injuries, and I know they're still banged up. Uh, but for a defensive coach, for a defense that can't tackle as bad as the Falcons can't tackle, I think that's pretty damning. And I think – I don't know if they'll fire him midseason – um, it could, I mean, it could happen, but I think for sure he's not coming back next year. Dubin, what are your yeah. thoughts on Danny Kent Quinn? Uh, I mean, I think waiting a second longer to fire him is probably, I mean, I don't like advocating for people other than Jason Garrett to lose their jobs, but I mean, it just seems like, I mean, what is, what is the purpose that he serves there at this point? He clearly is not the guy to get that defense going and turned around he's not the guy that's you know controlling the offense anyway it seems like the only reason to keep him is so that Dirk Cutter isn't the head coach for the rest of the year um yeah so I I don't get it um nope the the thing that that gets to me the most is that nobody on that defense has gotten better since they've got there like Vic Beasley's best year was his rookie year Tack McKinley doesn't seem to have gotten better Desmond Trufant plateaued the linebackers the safeties none of these guys seem to have gotten all that like better at all their defense has backslid because these guys just are getting, uh, you know, a year older every year and not getting better or more talented. And like they had one of the most athletic defenses in the league a few years ago. And I actually put them on a list of teams. Like I think it was after the 2015 season. So like the year they went to the Super Bowl, I was like, Oh, this, de- this defense could become one of the better defenses in the league. And then it was like fine that year. And it's been a disaster since. Yeah, it has. Uh, 2017. That year Sean was referencing when they went to the playoffs, they gave up the eighth fewest points allowed, top ten and fewest yards allowed, and that was the last time they were any good on defense. Since then, it's been like a slow collapse that is kind of culminating this season. Uh, you know, and Dan Quinn's had time to bring talent in and try and figure things out. He can't figure things out. They've lost over there, one and four. And, you know, if they did lose to the Cardinals for some reason on Sunday, I, I would think he could be fired uh, for losing – to Arizona, he could get fired at the bye because after they play Arizona, they play the Rams and the Seahawks, and then a bye, and definitely could lose to the Rams and Seahawks. So he might not make it through the season. Well, and here's the thing too: is that if you would have told us before the start of the season that the Panthers would lose Cam Newton and the Saints would lose Drew Brees, I think everyone would assume the Falcons are going to win the division, or at least they should win the division, because I don't think this team is untalented. So I think that's even more damning: is that they were placed in this great situation and they haven't been able to take advantage of it. And the last thing I'll say is that. They asked Arthur Blank, obviously, uh, about the coaching situation, and he said, obviously, the coaching is not where it needs to be. They're challenging themselves, questioning themselves, examining everything they know how to examine, um, and then blah, blah, they're working hard, blah, blah. But I think the point being, Arthur Blank saying the coaching is not where it needs to be. Um, this is evident to everyone, including the guy who's going to eventually fire them. Uh, I will say one thing about Dan Quinn. His only saving grace is that After week six, the Falcons will be the only team in the NFL that has not played a divisional game. So that means they have all six 
NFC South games left. And if they can somehow run the table and win all six of those, they're right back. In. It really doesn't matter how this early season went. So in that sense, the schedule is working out in their favor because they do have all six games left. And, you know, maybe they can beat Teddy Bridgewater. Maybe they can beat Kyle Allen. Uh, and, they, you know, they've got the Saints on Thanksgiving night. So maybe the Falcons will let him ride through that to see if he can uh, kind of run the division there. Good luck with that. <laughs> or they go 0-6. Uh, and also, Debo is happily reporting that Will Brinson is alive, so he will be back. He survived the Luna concert. How many Smirnoff ices do you think he drank, and how many do you think he's going to say were actually craft beers? Did he get one of those shirts that says, like, I survived the Luna concert? That that seems like something Brinson would do. I hope he got Sean one, and I hope he mails it to you, Sean. All I right. Don't, I don't want to talk about Brinson and mailing me. <laughs> It's too late for me to get worked up. Uh, for everyone listening, if you haven't already, make sure to request to join the Pick 6 Podcast Facebook group. And you need to do it right now because this week we're going to start doing AMAs with the Super Friends. And so that means you get on Facebook. You ask us questions, and we're going to answer. That is why you need to sign up. You can ask Sean why his neighbor hates him. You can ask Dubin. What is the root of his hate for Jason Garrett? And what was the exact day it's it that started? That he's a bad football coach. What exact day did it start? Was it December 12th, 2011? Dubin, don't answer that. That's for the AMA. Uh, and coming Wednesday, Will Brinson returns for the Brady Quinn football show. I'll be joining them. And uh, that is also on video. So you guys will be able to see how handsome Brady really is. Thank you for listening to the show. And uh, we'll talk to you guys tomorrow.